You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti. I am the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the American Bar Association headquarters in Chicago, Illinois. We're here to cover the ABA annual meeting and its highlights for you, our listeners. And joining me now, I have a very special guest who needs no introduction around these circles, and that is ABA President William Hubbard. Welcome back to the show. Lawrence, it's always good to be with you. Thanks for what you do to inform the public about the legal profession. Well, you are welcome. We love having you on, and every time we uh, meet up with you, we learn something new, so this is good for us. So uh, just before we get started, for the benefit of our audience who may be less familiar, uh, we just want to learn a little bit about you. So tell us about yourself. Where do you work? What do you do? Well, I'm a lawyer, um, a litigator, a trial lawyer at Nelson Mullins, Riley and Scarborough in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I've been at it since the late 1970s, and I've had great support from my law firm for my work uh, as president of the American Bar Association. It's been, been a good year. And speaking of which, uh, your presidency, your your tenure as the president of the American Bar Association has come at a very interesting time for a lot of uh, the development in law. For example, this year we've had the 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta, and we've had a historic Supreme Court session. I mean, now there is a national right for same-sex marriage. Um, we've had uh, a little bit more on the negative side, civil unrest with the police departments, and uh, we've learned about the plight of unaccompanied minor immigrants. So it's been quite a year uh, during your presidency. It has been. It's been a challenging year in many respects, but a rewarding year in other respects. Uh, uh, on the same-sex marriage issue, it was interesting that the, the ABA filed an amicus brief uh, in support of the the petitioners in that case. Uh, it was cited favorably uh, in the majority opinion and with some uh, less than favorable comment in uh, one of the dissenting opinions. So, <laughs> but, but we had an impact because we were well cited in that decision. Uh, on the criminal justice side, um, it was very clear uh, early in my year that we had to deal with the crisis in confidence in our criminal justice system. And I engaged in a number of conversations with Sherilyn Eiffel, uh, the Director General and President of the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. And we worked together very closely this year and engaged uh, prosecutors and judges, other law enforcement officials, uh, in a dialogue about what needed to be done to reform the criminal justice system as well as help restore confidence in it and strengthen the rule of law. I'm very proud that in July of this year, we together issued a statement that is a framework for uh, how prosecutors and, and those involved in the criminal justice system can reconnect with the public and be more transparent and work to eliminate uh, those elements of bias that do remain in our system. Uh, we, as you know from your uh, coverage of our Stanford Summit on access to justice, uh, we've worked very hard to um, urge lawyers to embrace technology and innovative new platforms to uh, bridge the justice gap, move the needle on the justice gap so that we can provide access to justice to more and more people. Our justice system is the best in the world, but we do have challenges on the criminal justice side and on the access side and the cost side on, uh, in terms of civil justice. So it's been a busy year, 
And as you said, Magna Carta celebration was a big part of it. On June the 15th, almost 1,000 ABA members and their guests were at Runnymede. Uh, it was a splendid day. Um, when the queen and her family arrived, <laughs> uh, the sun came out. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, and it was a fantastic experience. We rededicated the ABA memorial um, at that um, Princess Anne helped us rededicate oh, that. Oh, wow. And um, as I escorted her to from the main ceremony to the rededication of the ABA uh, monument, uh, we walked through an alley of red-coated uh, palace guards with their <laughs> uh, bearskin caps, you know, which are about three feet in height. But it was a great day. The prime minister was there, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Master of the Rolls, and in, in addition to the royal family. It's been quite a year. It's been an exhilarating Absolutely. year, and um, I appreciate the opportunity you've provided me to talk a little bit about it. Well, a lot, like I said, we always love having you on the air. So I want to get into a little bit about your initiative. So AVA Annual, this is quite an event for the development of our uh, legal institutions and the development of law. I mean, a lot of what happens in the next year uh, begins here. So you've got 7,000, about that 7,000 attorneys meeting here. They're going to meetings. They're going to presentations. They're learning. They're exchanging information. This information becomes part of action for next year. And so being that the case, it's uh, also a, a transition of leadership. So uh, ABA annual also marks the beginning and the end of the ABA presidency. And so your presidency, and I'm glad you brought this up, um, you focused a lot of energy on this justice gap. And so just... As a, as a year in review and to help some of our listeners who are maybe not so familiar with the concept, can you tell us what the justice gap is, that concept, and then kind of go through some or walk us through some of your initiatives and goals to help work our way through that? Yes. As we've discussed before, um, about 80 percent of the poor and more and more of those of moderate means do not have adequate access to our civil justice system. Only about one out of four or five Americans actually take their legal problems to a lawyer. And more and more uh, of those uh, of Americans are going first to the Internet uh, as, as a first action uh, before they uh, to address legal needs. We as a profession need to modernize and innovate and take advantage of new technologies to make sure that we reach the people who most need legal services. And so we created this Commission on the Future of Legal Services. We brought together innovators and regulators and judges and practitioners and academics to put everyone in the same room and try to figure out how we can have a system that not only provides greater access at a lower cost, but also captures those protections that the traditional justice system provides, the duties that lawyers have always had of loyalty first to their client. We don't want to have a system or a situation in the United States where we have two parallel justice systems, one entirely unregulated, internet-based, and another one that is uh, highly regulated, but uh, often inaccessible to the public. So what we're trying to do this year is synthesize the best of both of those systems into a system that meets the needs of the public and make sure that lawyers are part of the process because at the end of the day, the lawyers have the greatest expertise in the delivery of legal services. 
Well, I thought it was a wonderful event, and we had the privilege of coming out and covering the ABA's National Summit on Innovation in Legal Services. And I really liked the approach that you took. And we, we were out there, obviously, interviewing you. And uh, Victor Lee, who is the legal affairs writer at the ABA Journal, was uh, joining me in tandem with an interview. He asked a really great question, and you, you were talking about uh, breaking down the silos. And uh, you are talking about you had state Supreme Court justices there. We had, uh, like you said, the president of the NAACP and the founders of major U.S. companies dedicated towards producing platforms to help with the delivery of legal services. But, uh, you know, I think that was amazing. There's a lot of great ideas out there. But as you said, uh, in response to Victor's question, there wasn't a lot of cross-pollination of these ideas. So getting these people in the same room to discuss how do all these components work together, I think was a really great approach. Well, thank you. Uh, that's that, that was the strategy. It's still the strategy. Uh, the Commission on the Future of Legal Services will continue its work throughout the year. Uh, they're holding another set of um, public hearings uh, at this meeting, and I'm sure you'll be covering that. We it will. Should, should, <laughs> it should be fascinating. Uh, as well as uh, there's an incredible panel that's going to present to the House of Delegates uh, on uh, Monday afternoon. And this includes uh, the presiding judge of the L.A. Superior Court, uh, the chief justice of the Washington Supreme Court. Our good friends from AVO will be represented to talk about innovation and, and um, disruption in, in the legal space. So it'll be quite a panel. And again, this whole effort is one to make sure that ABA members and lawyers everywhere understand what's happening in the marketplace as people as we all move to our iPads and iPhones and other devices to get the services we need. We have to make sure the legal system is designed to take advantage of those opportunities as well. One thing we will have to look at and and there's no escaping it is we have a regulatory structure that has not essentially been modified in any dramatic way in, in decades. Uh, we made a run at some changes with the Ethics 2020 Commission, um, but didn't go very far with the reforms. Um, but uh, I think we're going to have to look at a, a different framework. Catherine Arrowwood is the president of the, or immediate past president of the North Carolina Bar Association. And I was really struck by a comment that she wrote in her president's column in the May issue of that Bar Association's journal. She said, we have a regulatory system that was developed in the 19th century. Uh, It served us pretty well in the 20th century. But in the 21st century, it's proven to be a barrier to access to justice. I thought that was a very profound but succinct way of describing where we are on, on regulation and how we need to be open to reforms that reflect the technologies that we have and how we can embrace those technologies, not for ourselves, but for the public. Well, I think that was, uh, you know, some of your remarks at at the National Summit was what you were talking about, the ground shaking under our feet in the practice of law. And it it sounds like that's one of them, is that as we march forward, some of our, as you're telling us right now, some of the regulatory uh, systems put in place aren't keeping up. And so, I like one thing that you said to us at a prior interview, and I want to ask you if you still think this is the case. Uh, again, another great question from Victor Lee. He asked some very insightful questions. And so he, uh, you said that the ABA, in response to one of his questions, um, he asked you, why are you so passionate about solving this justice gap problem? You know, and he was talking in the greater construct of the National Summit and all the people that you put together. And you uh, told us about why it's so important to make sure that laws are administered fairly, um, to keep people um, – 
feeling like the rule of law applies to them. And there was a lot of reasons. But you also uh, went off, you said the ABA, one of the reasons I'm involved, one of the reasons I'm so excited is the ABA is uniquely qualified to deal with this problem. And you said one of the highlights of your presidency was to see a change in the conversation between lawyers and judges about this shift uh, that that we're experiencing. And he said, What's refreshing is that in the conversation, there's the notion that we need to lead through the disruption rather than have it uh, foisted, was the word you used, upon us. And so I want to ask you, after your uh, full year here as the president, do you still think that's the case? You still seeing that? I'm seeing great progress. I think the conversation absolutely has changed. You can see it in the grassroots meetings that we've had around the country. And these are primarily in uh, a, a coordinated effort. Uh, between state chief justices and bar presidents and, and bar associations in the various states. Uh, just most recently, we had a very successful grassroots meeting under the leadership of Chief Justice Scott Bales in Arizona, as well as uh, Mark Martin, the chief justice in the state of North Carolina. And when you see the chiefs get behind this, it's an absolute recognition that there are fundamental problems that need to be addressed, there are challenges that we need to meet. And when you also talk to Carolyn Cool, the presiding judge of the L.A. Superior Court, 800 judges in that court system. It's the largest in the country. The self-regulated litigants who are coming into the courts are clogging the courts, and they require so much more attention, uh, so much more effort to try to help them through the process. Uh, We have to come up with better ways to make sure that people have the representation they need at a price that they can afford. I'm enormously gratified by how much progress we've had, how much the conversation has changed. I think people, when we first started having these conversations about 18, 20 months ago, um, I think a lot of lawyers were defensive. But through education and information and their participation in these efforts, I think we've changed the conversation and we're moving in the right direction. Looking back, So you're beginning to uh, transition out of your role into uh, the next phase. But looking back, you've seen what's happened. You've seen what works. You've seen what what doesn't work. Is there anything you would have done differently uh, knowing what you know today? I haven't thought about that question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what I've tried to do is work as hard as I could possibly work every single day. You have a limited amount of time um, in this position, and it's a great honor to serve Uh, as president of the American Bar Association. The ABA is uniquely qualified, and I think this addresses a a part of an earlier question. We're the organization that brings all elements of the justice system together. And, you know, we're not a trade association. We're not just a group of lawyers in practice doing the same kind of thing. We bring the lawyers, the academics, the uh, judges, uh, all together, and lawyers from solo to global law firms. And we try to address those structural and fundamental justice issues in a way that no other organization does. And that's the essential purpose of the ABA. And that's what, uh, as president, I've tried to stay focused on the bigger picture and look at the structural changes that need to be made, the fundamental reforms that we need to to sponsor. Uh, I know that I could have done a better job. I can't think of anything in particular that comes to mind that I wish I'd done differently, Um, but I'm sure there are others who would have been more effective and better advocates than I. But um, it's been a great honor to, to serve as president, and I think we have made some progress. 
succession. One of the things I noticed about the ABA, and I, I do routinely comment on this, is the the wonderful succession that goes on. And so uh, the person that's stepping in behind you to take on the presidency role is Ms. Paulette Brown. And uh, she's been working with you uh, pretty much your entire presidency. Right. And there's a nice period of time to hand off. And so I just wanted to ask, you know, uh, now that you're here, uh, now that you've seen all the way through the tunnel, uh, what advice would you give to an upcoming ABA president uh, right before they take their office? Well, I would probably give her the advice that I didn't follow myself. I, you, you know, you do have to, uh, you only have 365 days and you do want to maximize every day, but somewhere during the year, you have to find a few days off to, to recharge your batteries. And I've tried to, to encourage her, you know, not to accept every invitation. Uh, sometimes you can just find yourself going to two ends of the country in a short period of time, and it can be somewhat grueling. The travel uh, is a substantial part of what we do, as we were discussing uh, offline. I will be, will have been on the road about 300 days this year. Oh, out my of, goodness. Out of 365. Wow. And uh, you have to really make sure that you plan your trip so that you can accomplish many things in one particular part of the country and not be uh, shuffling back and forth. And Paulette has been an incredible ally and she's actually served as the Board of Governors uh, liaison to the Commission on the Future of Legal Services. So she's been very supportive, and I know she'll continue to support that work. Uh, she's keenly interested, as, the, as she should be and as I am and as the association is mandated that we all should be, on diversity and inclusion in our profession. And she will be uh, doing even more, making even more progress to make sure that our association sets the example for the nation and that um, we as a profession profession, uh, lead the way in, for our nation in reforming the justice system in a way that makes sure that it reflects our society and that um, it's fair to all people in our country. That is a great segue into it. We were talking about, you know, your life, uh, 300 out of 365 days of traveling. And, you know, you were talking, you've been in many countries, probably countless cities at this point. Uh, and I just think it's amazing how much invested you are and have been in this process. And, uh, you know, every president is, and it sounds like Paulette is as well, even before she takes office. So being that it's so busy and being that now you see the end coming up here as, as you pass the baton to, uh, to Ms. Paulette Brown as the new president, what's next? Where are you going next? Well, the first thing I'll probably do is take a long nap, um, <laughs> catch up on a little sleep. I might go for a swim. I've missed not being able to get exercise on a routine basis. And so I'm hoping to engage in a little more structured physical fitness regimen. Uh, <laughs> You're not uh, taking walks with uh, Ms. Paulette Brown? Paulette Brown it walks too fast for me. I can, I can jog while she walks, but um, she's a speed walker. <laughs> and um, the few times I've walked with her, my ankles burn too much. So uh, if she'll let me ride a bike or jog with her while she walks, we, we'll, we have a good time together. Well, that's wonderful. Well, President Hubbard, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you have a very busy day that you need to get back to, and I feel we've intruded upon you enough. So, But if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, uh, reach out to you, how can they reach you? Well, I'll be back at my law firm in Columbia, South Carolina, Nelson Mullins, Riley, and Scarborough, and I hope there's still a few clients that uh, <laughs> have a need for my services. Uh, I need to re-engage with some of them who have been very patient over the course of the last 12 months, And uh, but I've had very loyal clients, and, and um, I'll be back. Back, back to work. I'm probably going to take a week or two off to try to recharge my batteries, but um, come September, I'll be practicing law full force. Excellent. Excellent. Well, this has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Until next time, thank you for listening. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.